Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Call it family praise worship because we wanted it to be a family, especially with black and white coming together as a family. Um, and praise and worship was going to be our, our kind of a theme. And that's exactly what God has done. And it's just wonderful to be amongst people that just give themselves fully to God in praise. Um, so they're praying for us today. Um, thank you for the welcome, and especially great to see Zimbabweans here. I've often wondered why the Lord had this diaspora, why we had the disaster of Zimbabwe. And I think it's to, to send believers from Zimbabwe to other parts of the world. And um, I hear wonderful things. People that were kind of lukewarm for God, uh, get lose their farms, they go to, to New Zealand, and the next thing I hear is that they're elders in their church or they're reviving something there, and I just think, thank you Lord, you don't make mistakes. So we have a long story to share, and we have to be very selective. Um, if I knew I was going to talk to you today, I'd have brought uh, some more slides, but I've only had a few funny pictures on my phone that I brought. Um, to illustrate some of the things we're going to share with you. But um, I'd like to just start off by saying that our story with, well, the part that we're sharing today started in 1975, quite a long time ago. Um, I had come over to uh, try and qualify as a physician, and fortunately we were in Amersham in England, and um, I was able to get the MRCP um, and I had been bonded to the government because they were paying my salary at that stage because we couldn't have supported ourselves and our family then. So I promised that I would uh, work for them for three years afterwards. So fortunately, I managed to get both parts of that degree by June uh, in six months. And then we went on leave. We had a month of August on holiday. Um, but they had told me in Zimbabwe that when I came back, I would probably be posted to a very remote place called Ntoko, and unfortunately we didn't have a school there, and our daughter Bronwyn, who was then turning six, would have to go to a boarding school. And we didn't like the idea of a six-year-old daughter going to a boarding school, so we prayed about that. One of the uh, places that would have been ideal for us was Marundera. I'd already done a locum there, and it was just an hour's drive from Harare where both of our parents lived. So it would be lovely, not too close, but not too far. Uh, so um, anyway, Matoka was the thing that was uh, presented to us. We came back from our leave and there was a vacancy notice for the superintendent of the government hospital in, in Marundera. The problem was this, it was the 30th of August and the entries had to be closed by the 19th of August. And I said to Joel, that would have been ideal for us. Let's just pray. So we prayed. <laughs> the following day we had a telegram from the staffing officer. He said, the applicants for this vacancy are not suitable, please would you apply? And it's, it's amazing how often God does things a little bit out of the ordinary because he wants to put his stamp of authority on it. If we'd have just gone there straight away, we may not have been sure that that was God's plan. But the way this happened, we knew that it was the right thing. And so we arrived in Marundera uh, at the beginning of 1976. That was the wartime in Zimbabwe. The Liberation War was going on. I was superintendent of a government hospital. 
And most of my, a lot of my work to begin with was just really war surgery, just treating people who'd been injured via landmines or high velocity missiles. And we had a kind of a routine where um, we'd have an early supper because the activities would start towards sunset and then at about seven or eight o'clock I'd get the first phone call from the hospital, please come, the casualties have started coming in. So it was a, the first few years are quite hard. Um, I think I've probably done, as a physician, I've probably done more surgery than most other, than many other surgeons actually. Um, but that was because we had to do everything that was there. So, <coughs> in this background of things, um, the Lord was, was active. And what, what was now known as the charismatic renewal had swept through Zimbabwe and through Marondera. And we arrived at a lovely time where people from different denominations were coming to know the Lord in a much deeper way and being filled with His Spirit. And we had a little book called Life in the Spirit Seminars and we just went through the phone book and invited everybody we could think of to come to these seminars. And many of them, their lives were turned upside down. They were changed by God. It was so exciting. Healings were happening. People were speaking in tongues and interpreting things. And it was just a glorious time. God's love was flowing through this town. That was the first part. The second part was that after breaking down the, the denominational barriers, the racial barriers started being broken down as well. And many of our black brothers and sisters had the same sort of experience that we'd had. And what happened was that, you know, when that happens, you go back full of enthusiasm to your church and you get a surprise. The ministers are not very excited about what's happening in you. Um, and so a lot of these folk went back to their churches, tried to bring life into their churches, but found it was very difficult, but had a hunger to learn more about what God was teaching, how to live their lives in Christ. So we started a Friday night fellowship group where there would be teaching and worship, and people would be free to, to bring their offerings, their ministry. And one day, um, it was out of this fellowship that two people came to minister to us. We had invited speakers and two of them came, one from South Africa, one from England, to talk to us about community life. And we felt that if God had brought these people from, from such a long way, we should actually take this seriously. So we said to this group of people, black and white, 60 people about, um, if you are serious, if you want to follow this up, uh, please meet together. We have a month of fasting and prayer, and then those who feel that this is God's will, we'll meet together and start praying about it. So at the end of the month, we had that meeting, and there were five families and uh, a single person, and we started, every Wednesday night we met for uh, study and for prayer. And we got every book that we could think about, community, we read it and shared it with one another. And every Saturday morning we met for breakfast and some more prayer. And so over 18 months, we got a good idea of what sort of community God was leading us into. Now, of course, the, the inspiration and the challenge of this is in the book of Acts. And I'm sure you're very familiar with it. But just to uh, remind you about it, uh, could we have it on the, on the overhead, please? Is it there? Okay. This is incredibly ch challenging, uh, but also very appealing. And so often when God is moving, that's what happens. Uh, you feel attracted to it, but at the same time you feel very nervous. You know, is this really uh, what God wants? Because it's so demanding. So I'll just read it for you. Um, from Acts chapter 2, first of all, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is a whole new lifestyle and a challenge to a lifestyle. And I think the reason that it was important was because the Holy Spirit had just been given. There were still people alive that had heard Jesus preaching. They had a very good idea of what God wanted. And so what we read about in the book of Acts is very often a prototype for what God requires or what his challenge is. So we took this very seriously. And then the other part, uh, the other part from chapter 4, um, verse 32. All the believers were, in heart and, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. So that was our challenge. And after discussing this and praying about it for 18 months, we decided that this is what God wanted for us. So uh, we had five families and a single person. And the Lord had shown me uh, that the place that we were going to live in was a place called the Three Monkeys Inn. Now I'm sure, are you familiar with the Three Monkeys thing? Um, we are inundated with monkeys at the moment. They are a real pest. They come and eat our crops, they damage up. So it's a little bit ironic that it was called the Three Monkeys Inn. And uh, Three Monkeys are so negative. See no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil. Um, but anyway, that's what the end was called. It was a going, a going concern. Um, but the Lord had shown me that this was going to be a stronghold for his kingdom. At that stage, it was not. It was just the opposite. There was drunkenness. There was adultery. There was all sorts of terrible things happening in this inn. Um, and when I shared it with, this, with the community, they all said no. So I said, well, think about it. We need accommodation for 20-something for people. That's the, the number of, of who we were. I need to be close to the hospital. We need to be close to the schools. Um, and then one by one, they started saying, well, maybe you're right. And then eventually we went and we prayed in this place. Um, I won't give you all of the story because it's quite a long story, but it's, we, we knew that this was actually what God wanted for us. So I started negotiating with the owner. And uh, he asked for a huge price that we couldn't pay. We had a low price, which he wouldn't accept. And eventually one of our number said to us, you know, God's got a price. So we hadn't thought about that before, but she said, I was praying about this, and I remember that Mary brought this jar of alabaster that was 300 denarii. Now, denarius was a day's work, a day's labor. So, and 300 were the working days in the year. So we decided to put our annual earnings together as the down payment. Came to a figure in between, and I took it to the, to the owner of the place, and I said, this is what we're offering you, and uh, he said no. And we thought, well, if this is God's figure, we can't actually change it. So we were delayed, and it was quite frustrating. 
But during that time, one of the families pulled out, and it was such a good, so such a benefit that they pulled out before we had actually moved in, because all of us had to sell and mobilise all of our assets to put this down payment down. One of the families sold a house. The elderly single lady uh, got rid of her stocks and shares and put the money in. We put our savings in. Everybody, there was one lady who had nothing and she put nothing in, but we all put everything that we had in. And at the end, we had $30,200. And at this stage, Zimbabwe dollars were much stronger than the US dollars. So we paid that up and um, we moved in and we actually had raised uh, $30,200. Um, we paid the $30,000 and then we got the bill from the uh, conveyancer for $200. So we moved in and we had nothing. And uh, we really wondered whether we'd done the right thing <clears throat> or made the biggest mistake in our lives. Because when we got into this hotel, the previous lessees had been told to leave at short notice. They'd never signed any sort of contract and they were so angry that they just pulled the place apart. They tore all the light fittings off the walls. They tore all the, they took off the toilet seats. They took off the handrails in the bathrooms. And we moved into this place and it was just an absolute mess. And we sat down in the little office there and I don't know, we were, if we weren't crying, we were close to tears. And uh, one of our members just prayed and said, Lord, forgive us for this feeling that we have. You had no place to lay your head. And we've got this place. Fortunately, the Lord moved in one of the members of our fellowship uh, who had just sold a house and he gave us the whole proceeds from the sale of the house to repair everything and to change the, the place so that we had place to live. One of the, uh, one of the important things, I guess, we, we had a black family, a single mother with four children. We had a, a, a Zimbabwean lady, a white Zimbabwean lady who was just recently widowed. She came back also with four children. And then we had an elderly single lady. Um, and we had 12 children to educate um, and uh, not very much to do it with. But in those days, the government education was very good. It was only later that we had the shock of seeing the education level just drop pre precipitously and had to move our children into private schools with a huge increase in, in, in the cost of that. But anyway, because we had everything in common, and this is, I think, one, one of the reasons that we discovered it was a good idea to be in this community. I mentioned, people, when we mentioned the community, they said, well, what are you doing it for? And we were very embarrassed because we didn't know. We didn't have a mission. We just had this lifestyle that was so attractive to us. So we said, well, we think this is going to be a lifestyle community. And that's all we can tell you at the moment. And so we moved in, and this is the lifestyle that we discovered. We found that at 6.15 every morning was the only time in the day that we'd all meet for prayer. So every morning at 6.15 we meet and we pray together, read some of scriptures, we worship the Lord, we pray for the things of the day. So that was the prayer, that was an important prayer part. On a Monday evening we have Bible study, so we study the Apostles' teaching on a, on a Monday evening. Um, on a, on a Saturday morning, and this is a meeting that we didn't realize at first it was so important until people started saying, I never knew this was going to happen, or I never knew so-and-so was going to visit us. 
Uh, so he decided we need a business meeting, and that takes place at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning every week. And we talk about people mainly, who's coming, who's going. We talk about our finances. We talk about things that are happening that need repair uh, or any other project. Um, and, and that's a very important meeting. And then on Saturday evening, we have a fun evening. It's not, it's not serious at all. We, we do all sorts of things. We have a mini Olympics one Saturday night. Um, sometimes we have a word game. Uh, sometimes we, we do all sorts of things. Um, but it's meant to be a fun evening. And I'll just show you one of the, one of the evenings uh, with the first overhead. Um, we were given a whole lot of rub rubbish clothing. And everybody had to model their rubbish clothing. So we had a catwalk, and each person came down and modeled, had to model their clothing. It was a hilarious time. Um, it, was, it was great fun. Um, and you'll see some of the members of the community there. So there we were, available to God. And I think we would establish the lifestyle. By the way, we didn't draw people out of their churches. They came from different churches. And we said, we're going to be so kind of focused, we don't want to be inward looking. So best we keep going to our churches and try and bring there any kind of life that we've benefited from, from being in the community. And so that's what we did. And people go out on a Sunday and worship in different churches. So that was the idea. But very soon, God started giving us things to do. It wasn't long. And our first mission was basically to help people with psychiatric problems. Um, we had a, a schizophrenic young lady, well, a lady in her 30s, who came and stayed with us for eight years. We tried to get her uh, healed and, and back to work, and it took eight years for that. And during those eight years, we had a terrible time. And I can, I think t the church still has a problem with mental illness. Um, what happened was my medical diagnosis was schizophrenia. Her own diagnosis was demon possession. So every time anybody came to visit us, she'd ask for prayer, and they would try and cast out demons, which I don't believe were there. And she got into the state where she felt that the demon was so strong that nobody, even these Christian leaders, could cast it out. And eventually, I persuaded her that actually it wasn't a demon possession thing, because she loved Jesus. She loved reading the Word. She loved going to church. She was full of love for other people. And I said, this is schizophrenia. We don't fully understand it, but I know that if you take this treatment, you'll be okay. And she did, and she, she started taking that treatment regularly, and she was fine. And she back, went back to a very responsible job, doing the payroll for 5,000 workers in a big company. We had an amazing lady from Mauritius uh, who was uh, bipolar. When she was manic, her family couldn't handle her, so they sent her to us at Gatehouse. And because we were a community, we could share the burden of, of looking after someone who was so difficult to look after. And we had people with depression who came and stayed as well. Um, I found that in my medical practice that um, it was a great thing because I, I was delivering babies and a lot of of our mothers came from far away. In fact, we had missionaries in Mozambique uh, and the women were having babies and they could come and stay with us at Gatehouse when they were about 36 weeks pregnant. We would look after them, I would deliver their babies at our local hospital and then when they were well they could, they could go back to Mozambique. And I found that as a doctor it was a great help having that community. 
Um, sometimes I knew that what a person needed was just a lot of prayer. I didn't have time for that, and I'd say, please go and speak to John or whoever, and they will pray for you and, and show you where you need to go. So, I, I, in fact, I might say that, that the reason, one of the reasons that Jill and I really wanted to be in the, in the community was to have this kind of backup for the healing ministry. And um, it was wonderful to have this, this backup. Of course, we were inundated straight away with alcoholics and drug addicts. And when people got to hear of us, but it didn't take us long to realize this wasn't our ministry. We live on a big 10 hectare, that's 22, 23 acre plot. Uh, we haven't got a fence around it. We didn't have people available to be with those folk all the time. So after a couple of years, uh, I would say of, of very little success, uh, we decided that that wasn't our ministry. We, said, we have to start saying no to people. And that's really a difficult thing to know when a person comes and says, you know, my brother's such a good guy, but he's, he can't get off the drink and he's lost his job and he's got nowhere to go and his wife's divorced him. We just have to say, look, I'm sorry, that isn't our ministry. And we were able to point them to somebody else who was able to help. So there we were. Um, and God started, as I say, started showing us things that, that, that he did want us to be involved in. Um, I'll just show you a little bit more about a few, few things about Gatehouse Community. As I say, we've got this property. It's right in the middle of town, by the way. It's, it's really a small plot, but it's got two good wall holes on it. It's got a, a, a accommodation for 30 people. Um, and when we were trying to buy the place, the, the owner said, well, you just take the residential part, we, we'll keep the land. And I said, no, because the Lord has shown us from Jeremiah that he wanted us to have the whole land. So we said, no, we want to buy the whole land. And then we started uh, doing a little farming project. We, we were very excited about being self-sufficient. How many of you have thought that it would be wonderful to be self-sufficient? So that's what we did. We started growing vegetables. Uh, a couple of us planted a, 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 an orchard. We've got 17 different kinds of fruit, fruit in this orchard. Um, but the big thing was that all of our children were drinking us out of house and home when it came to milk. Um, so we decided that we actually needed to have a dairy. So we started a dairy, and that, that's another story in itself. I'm going to write a book about Portia. Portia was our first cow. What a brilliant lady she was. She, she let all of our kids learn to milk on her. She had lovely long teeth, she was very patient. And Bronwyn and the rest of the kids, they were the milking team. So they had to get up at five o'clock in the morning and do the first milking, and go back at five o'clock in the evening after school and do the second milking. Uh, and Portia was wonderful, and then the, da the dairy has grown from there. So if we could just have the, some of the slides of the farm. So <laughs> um, there's a lot more to see, but just give you an idea that we're very busy with uh, trying to be self-sufficient, but it didn't take us long to realize you can't be self-sufficient. If anybody's trying to be self-sufficient, don't try. It's not economically viable. <laughs> when, you, when you've got lots of, of, of uh, tomatoes, everybody's got lots of tomatoes. Um, our main crop is strawberries. We grow wonderful strawberries. They are full of flavor and we sell those strawberries because you've got to have some money to buy things that you need to keep the other part of the farm going. Um, my job is the fruit trees and when I get back next week, we'll start having to do the pruning. Uh, we've got about 40, 40 trees that need to be pruned. Um, so that's going to keep me busy for a while. But it's wonderful, it is wonderful to eat your own food. You know what's happened, you know it hasn't been covered with insecticides, you know that it's natural and of course it's fresh and, and that makes all the difference. So we, we're a very well-nourished community. <laughs> 
fresh food, fresh vegetables every day. Um, we keep, um, we have been keeping chickens, but that's a long story. I won't go too, too much into that because we've learned a lot of uh, lessons as it goes. Um, we were keeping chickens for a while, but they all got stolen about a week before they were due to, for slaughter, so we don't keep chickens anymore. Um, and these monkeys are a real nuisance, so I have to, we have to actually uh, employ a crop guard to keep a, a, a guard to make sure the monkeys don't get away with all of our fruit and all of our vegetables. I'd like to just go into the probably that um, the, the this is actually taking a big jump to the most recent thing. We have an orphanage in Barandera, and that orphanage uh, for the Shona folk it's called Musuewana, which means uh, the home of children. And um, the rule is that when the children get to 18, they've got to leave. Now these children have had such disruptive lives that none of them managed to pass any exams, or very, very few. So they leave school at the age of 18 with no qualifications whatsoever. And so um, the, the, the man who's the chairman of the orphanage is also our pastor. And he's in touch with some Americans who wanted to help. And he said, what about training them in some agriculture? And I said, well, if, if gatehouses of any use, we're very happy to have them. Um, and so they, so they started this year. Um, we've got five uh, young, youngsters who come, they live nearby, but they come to, to gatehouse. And uh, Jill, who's just retired as headmistress of a Christian school called Lenny Park, is organizing this working out a curriculum for them, giving them lectures each day. They start off with, uh, is our pastor up there? Is John on there? John is our pastor. He's a lovely guy. He's always cheerful. It doesn't matter what the, what the problems are, what the mountains are that have to be climbed. He's always cheerful. Um, so he comes and does worship with the children every morning. Um, and that's how they start their day. Then they go out and work on the farm. And then they come in for lectures at uh, 12 o'clock. And then some extra to invite other people in to come and do lecturing and to help them. So they started that. Please, if you, have, if you remember that, pray for them. They, they don't have a future, these kids. They don't, they've lost contact with their relatives. They've got no qualifications. And sadly, they're not actually all that motivated. Because for the whole of their lives, everything's been given them on a plate. They've had really, no, you know, their clothing have been, have been provided, their schooling's been provided, they haven't had chores to do, um, and so they're not all that, that motivated. The first day I gave a lecture on soil at two o'clock in the afternoon, one of the guys pitched up at 20 past two. I said, What's, what are you doing here at 20 past two? So he said, oh, I'm a bit late. So I said, please leave. My lecture started at two o'clock. The next day he was there promptly at two o'clock. So it's just a matter of discipline that they, they've never had in their lives. Um, so we, we really do want to help these, these orphans and this is one of the ways that we're starting. And Jill will be coming up just now just to sh uh, share a bit about Lenny Park School. But I'll just share that this is, we, we, this is what we're trying to do at the moment. It's the latest, if you like, project. I don't get, like the term project very much because it sounds like it's just something that you're doing away from. This is just a, a burden that God has put in our hearts. And we want to see these children having something that they can do when they leave so that they can look after themselves and be a benefit and a blessing to others as well. From there, I'd just like to share a little bit with you about Kukuru Nishungu. Kukuru Nishungu means to grow up with courage. And in 1984, uh, the government asked us to do a, a survey of uh, what was being done for uh, disabled people, mainly children. 
And we found that very little was being done in our area. We had a Christian nurse working in the township and she um, did a survey and we found that there were about 20 young people who really needed help. The help was so much needed that in one family when she, where she went into, one of the disabled kids was so antisocial that he dived under the bed and just screamed and screamed and screamed until she left. Uh, his name was Alois and he was one of our first people. So we found that there was nothing much going on for them. So we held a, a public meeting for anybody who was interested in helping disabled people and I was elected as the chairman. And um, we found that, well we, we just told everybody that the thing that was really needed was a school for handicapped uh, people, mentally and physically handicapped people. And the churches came forward and uh, the, the Lions and the Rotary had made donations and they told us that it would cost us about 24000 to build a suitable place. We started meeting in, in the Methodist Church Hall while we were trying to raise these, these funds. Um, and we, was, we weren't going to get there. We weren't going to get that target. And then one of our physiotherapists who was there had a friend uh, in the EU office and she said, they have a thing called micro projects. I'm going to ask them if they'll give us some money. And they did. So we were able to build the school. And it's amazing the way the Lord supplies. Our first teacher, our first superintendent, was a lovely, lovely woman. She was about 70, 65, 70, somewhere there. She was a Swiss person, she'd been working in the Methodist church and I was, I was attending to her husband who was dying of cancer of the prostate and when he died, she who had been nursing him um, came and said to me, I'd love to do some work with these, these handicapped children. So I said, Joni, thank you for your offer but we need someone who's fluent in Shona and who, can, who knows how to who te teach handicapped people. So she said, well, I'm fluent in Shona. Can you imagine the Swiss woman of 65 say, I'm fluent in Shona. I've been working in women clubs and in the Methodist church throughout the country for the last 25 years. And I'm sure I can do this. And I'm a trained teacher. So we had this wonderful lady who just showed the love of God. And these children started responding. Um, from being antisocial, they just loved coming there. Uh, we had 23 of them. At one stage, we were up to 25. And um, we now uh, have our third superintendent, because um, Johnny also got old and died. Um, but we've got a wonderful lady. She's, she's just brilliant with these children. And I call them children, but they're actually grown up with us. Um, they started with us as children, but you know, when they get to 18 or 19 or 20, there's still nothing much that they can do. In Zimbabwe, when we've got 80% unemployment, nobody is interested in employing disabled people. Um, and so we've, we've changed it from a school to a day centre and they still come on a daily basis. Some of them do the cooking, some of them do the cleaning. They've all um, learned a lot of, uh, of personal skills and social skills. Um, where they grow vegetables, um, we've got a couple of, of, of things that they do. We make freezers which are little plastic uh, tubes that have got drinking fluid in and we sell those. Um, 
And um, we've just started making a dishwashing liquid, which is fantastic. It's very, very good. And we're just trying to market that at the moment. Um, and we've just been donated some money so we can get a, an automatic machine because at the moment the kids have masks on and they've got big sticks. And it's like making sadza. You know, sadza is our mealy meal and it's thick and, and there they are stirring this thing and not looking very happy. But they'll be able to do that with a machine now. And then we, we're going to be able to market that to bring some money in. The government doesn't support us um, and we rely on donations to keep that running. And uh, fortunately, it's still been running since 1984. I don't know how many years that is, but God has been faithful. Um, I think if there's a picture of some kids walking, um, we have a, a, pri a very uh, well-known private school in Marondere called um, uh, what was it called? Peter House. <laughs> Just stop for a moment. And Peter House had a, a rector who was part of the original uh, vision for this. So he formed a club in the girls' school and the boys' school called the Kukurunishugu Club. And they're volunteers from amongst these teenagers. And they come every Tuesday and they take kids to the school. The girls go and do girly things with the girls and the boys play football or swim in the swimming pool or something like that, depending on the time of the year. And they just love it. And it's such a blessing to the school kids as well. They, they're learning to accommodate people who've got handicaps and, and to live with them, live with a disability. And they've, they've got a heart now for people with disabilities. And I think what you're seeing there is a sponsored walk. And you will see that there are some healthy kids that are walking on either side uh, of, a, of a handicapped person. Um, and uh, they've done, been doing that for some, from, not the walk for some years, but <laughs> the help for some years. Uh, so that's an ongoing thing. We're pretty, very much relying on Lord. But it's the happiest place in the town. If I'm feeling a bit depressed and a bit down, I go to Kukura Nishungu where everybody is happy. They love worshipping the Lord, even though they don't understand it very much, but they put their arms in the air. They dance wildly when we, we pray worship songs, and although they probably only know that Jesus loves me, it's enough. So, um, you're welcome to come anytime you're feeling down, or you <laughs> just come and, and, and see the kids at, at uh, Kukurani Kishungu. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.